I'm Laura London, and this is a special video edition of Speaking of Jung. Joining us today for episode 127 is Jungian analyst and professor, Dr. Christian Rosler in Freiburg, Germany. He earned a diploma in psychology from the University of Freiburg and went on to study Rogerian counseling, family and divorce mediation, and family systems therapy methods, earning a PhD in 2001. From 1996 to 2002, he trained as a Jungian analyst at the C.G. Jung Institute Zurich, where he earned a diploma in analytical psychology, which is the degree of a Jungian analyst. He is now a member of the faculty of the Jung Institutes in both Stuttgart and Zurich, as well as the Psychoanalytic Training Institute at the University Clinic Freiburg. Dr. Rosler works as a professor of clinical psychology at the Catholic University of Applied Sciences in Freiburg and professor of analytical psychology at the University of Basel in Switzerland. His prior appointments include a year as visiting professor in the Graduate School of Education at Kyoto University and six years as a visiting professor for qualitative research methodology at the University of Frankfurt. His research and publications focus on analytical psychology and contemporary sciences, couple and family therapy, postmodern identity construction, narrative research, and media psychology. He specializes in work with couples and families applying interpretive research methods, and in 2020 received an award for original Sandplay research from the Sandplay Therapists of America. Dr. Rosler is the author of C.G. Jung's Archetype Concept, Theory, Research, and Applications, and Deconstructing Archetype Theory, a Critical Analysis of Jungian Ideas. He is also the editor of Research in Analytical Psychology, Empirical Research, the second volume of a two-part series in which he contributed five chapters. And in 2022, he submitted a groundbreaking 300-page research report to the International Association for Analytical Psychology, the IAAP, titled Development of a Reconceptualization of Archetype Theory, which is the subject of our talk today. This episode is made possible by Temino's Dream, the revolutionary new dream recording app available for iOS and Android. Having trouble remembering your dreams? Now you can record them by speaking into your phone or typing them into the app. Keep your dreams organized, search the built-in symbol dictionary, and have AI illustrate your dreams all within the app. Download it and create a free account today. Please use the link in the description box below or on our website, speakingofyoung.com, where you will find links to everything discussed in this episode in the show notes. This video interview is being recorded on Wednesday, October 18th, 2023, through the magic of StreamYard. Thank you so much for joining us today, Professor Rosler. Sorry, I'm having a little bit of difficulty uh, pronouncing your last name, and I want to make sure it's correct. So would you pronounce it for everybody? Yes, my name is Christian Rosler. Thank <laughs> you. I will... Uh, from here on out, I'll, I will refer to you as professor. So speaking of that, you are a professor at Jung's alma mater, right? Uh, yes, um, in Basel, uh, where he studied medicine. 
Um, but as you know, he later moved to Zurich, where he continued his um, and completed his doctoral thesis. Yes, in uh, in 1900. So, you do you go back and forth between Freiburg and Basel? Yes, sure. It's not far. It's about an hour to go. About an hour, and mm -hmm. you're teaching in both universities. And I see that you're a professor of analytical psychology, and we don't have very many of those here in the United States. So how how common is that where you are? It's extremely unusual. Yes. <laughs> as far as I know, I'm the only person who does something like that in the German-speaking world, uh, as far as I know. Well, that's that wonderful. Has Mm -hmm. It has it has a specific background because there is a foundation in Basel, which is uh, which was created by two grandchildren of Jung's. Mm -hmm. They wanted to have analytical psychology be taught at the University of Basel, mm -hmm. and, and so they financed that. They financed that, and is it one class? Is it a degree program? Um, it's offered in in the um, Department of Psychology for bachelor's as well as for master's students, and okay. um, it's a lecture and a seminar. Great. That's wonderful. And I also see that you are on the faculty of the Jung Institutes in both Stuttgart and in Zurich. So mm -hmm. I don't know if many of our listeners are familiar with the Jung Institute in Stuttgart. I know I'm not. So would you tell us a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. um, it's the largest Jungian Institute in Germany, and it's a part of the official training system in Germany of um, psychotherapists. So if you um, complete your studies there, you are allowed to, um, to, to um, work as a professional psychotherapist in Germany, and you can also be financed by the insurances then. And it's it's called the Jung Institute of Stuttgart. Yes, right. Oh, wonderful. Okay, so they don't train Jungian analysts there; they train psychotherapists, or oh, both. No, that's that's the same in Germany. They are Jungian analysts. Ah, I was wondering why when I was reading your work, I kept seeing that term psychotherapy, and I was thinking, mm -hmm. I wonder why he's using that term. So that's what it's called in Germany. Well, it's a complicated system in Germany. So um, there are two um, two major forms of psychodynamic psychotherapy which can be applied in Germany. Okay. The one is more or less a short-term form, and it's 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 generally based on psychodynamic theories. And then there is a long-term uh, form, and that's um, called analytical psychotherapy. Ah, okay. And it can have a Freudian background, or it can also have a Jungian background. That I depends see. on your training, you know. I see. And your main, you, you mainly focus on the clinical practice of Jungian psychoanalysis, which is very interesting to me because, well, we'll get to that in a little bit. But before we get to your books on archetype theory, I would like to mention that you also do dream research, which I found fascinating. Um, you have published many articles, and I will list as many as I can in the show notes for this episode. Um, but your method is titled Structural Dream Analysis. Would you mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that? 
Well, actually, I started this research because I wanted to investigate it archetypes, actually. Ah. And the idea was that if there is anything like that, um, we should find it in dreams. Mm -hmm. But the, um, the approach that I chose was not coming from, well, the idea was not to have too many um, presuppositions taken from the, the theoretical background, but to have a more open-minded approach to the dreams. And so the idea was that we look at the structure of the dream, which means that we focus on the relationship between the dream ego and all the other elements in the mm -hmm. dream. And that's a take, an, an idea taken from Jung, which uh, is called, in German, it's called Subjektstufe. So that would mean the, the subjective level of the dream. Mm. So in, in this viewpoint, um, all, all the, the whole um, story that the dream is telling is a kind of inner drama. And the interesting point is then, how is the relationship of the dream ego to the other characters in the dream? Because you mentioned that Jung differentiates between a subjective level and mm -hmm. an objective level to dreams. Would you tell us just a little bit about that? So the more common view is the objective level, which mm -hmm. means that you take um, the dreams more or less literally, which means mm -hmm. that if you dream of your, for example, of your a partner in a, in a love relationship, then the dream would tell something about this um, actual person. The more interesting for, for analysis is the subjective level, because this tells us more about the, the inner drama going on in the person. Yeah. Um, so, for example, the listeners may know the, um, the idea that Jung had about the shadow we all carry in us. So sometimes in the dream, the dream deals with the relationship between the ego, the conscious part of the personality, and the shadow. And then it's interesting how this relationship is described in the dream. And then what we do in this research is that we look how do these relationships between the dream ego and the other parts of the personality, how do they develop over the course of therapy? Yes, how they develop over the course of therapy. And there's some very mm -hmm. interesting data that you've come up with about mm -hmm. uh, toward the end of mm -hmm. one's analysis. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you want to tell us a little bit about that. I will direct the listeners to the Journal mm -hmm. of Analytical Psychology, 2020, uh, your article titled Jungian Theory of Dreaming and Contemporary Dream Research, Findings from the Research Project, Structural Dream Analysis. There will be a link to that in the show notes. And I do believe the entire text is available online. Mm -hmm. right. um, so if, if there isn't anything... Uh, else you'd like to share about that, I would like to move on. Um, I kind of like to go in a bit of a chronological order. In 2018, Routledge published a two-volume set uh, titled Research in Analytical Psychology, parts one and part two. And part one was edited by our upcoming December guest, Joseph Cambray and Leslie Sawin. And you edited part two on empirical research. Uh, tell us a little bit of, because you contributed a lot of uh, material mm -hmm. to that book. Would you tell us a little bit about empirical research? 
Yes, um, well, this, this book, um, this publication was the result of, of many years of research. And when I started to do that research, my intention was to bring more empirical research into analytical psychology. Mm -hmm. Because I'm a, a scientist on the one side, but I'm also a Jungian analyst on mm -hmm. the other side. And what I found is that um, there has... Um, a gap has developed in yeah. the last decades between psychological science and Jungian psychology. And I wanted to, to contribute to bridge that gap. Mm. So what I tried to do was to investigate different concepts from analytical psychology with the empirical methods of um, scientific um, psychology. Mm -hmm. That was the intention. And when Jung developed his psychology, he very much wanted it to be considered a science. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And he was a medical doctor, so he had a medical mm -hmm. degree. And he was, was he afraid that it wouldn't be taken seriously if it weren't rooted in science? Well, later he was afraid. Well, actually, his career started with hardcore experimental research. Mm -hmm when he investigated what he later called complexes yep. uh, by using the association experiment. Mm -hmm. And he became internationally um, renowned by doing that research. And actually, that was the reason why he came into contact with Freud, because Freud was so interested in that research because it kind of um, supported the new ideas of psychoanalysis. Mm. There are unconscious factors in the psyche which have an influence on conscious functioning. Mm -hmm. But later he left this research and um, tried to investigate the depths of the psyche. And of course, that's a bit of a shady subject, you know. Mm -hmm. So he was afraid that the scientific world would, would um, view his, his ideas as just philosophical ideas about the nature of, of man and something like that. He didn't want to just be a philosophy, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So you, uh, in that volume, you contributed the chapters Complexes and the Unconscious from the Association Experiment to recent fMRI studies, which is Functional Magnetic Resonance Imaging, uh, mm -hmm. Jungian Dream Interpretation and Empirical Dream Research, Research on the Effectiveness of Jungian Psychotherapy, which is fascinating, state-of-the-art, and synchronistic experiences in psychotherapy, empirical studies. And mm -hmm. the, the last section, section five of that book, is you and Harold Ottmansbacher, who was a, mm -hmm. a guest on, on this show mm -hmm. a few months ago. Mm -hmm. And so you have done work on synchronicity. Would you just, because mm -hmm. it's such a fascinating subject and there's so many people mm -hmm. interested in it, would you just give us your take on it? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think it's not necessary to define what synchronicity means. Okay. Well, what, what we focused on is, um, of course, it's not possible to, to investigate uh, or to find out whether synchronistic events really exist mm. because they cannot be really controlled. And um, I would say that it's an act of interpretation to say something is a synchronistic event because for me it makes somehow sense that these things happen. Okay. So what we what we did is that we investigated the appearance of synchronistic events in the context of psychotherapy. 
because usually in this field, such things are very well documented. Mm -hmm. And what we try to understand is how psychotherapists use um, such events and how they interpret them uh, and how this um, affects the course of psychotherapy. And what we found is that um, uh, Jungian um, therapists actually use synchronistic events as if they were dreams. Mm -hmm. They interpret them in the context of the, the personality and the topics of the, of the client. And this seems to be very useful for the process of psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. Yes, that that was my experience in analysis too, is looking at a synchronicity as if it were a dream and to look at it symbolically. Mm -hmm. So I would like to now move on to your main topic of research, and that is mm -hmm. on the archetype. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot here. You've published two books, and mm -hmm. in between that book, you did a study that was commissioned by the IAP mm -hmm. about Jung's concept of the archetype because mm -hmm. you found some inconsistencies and that it wasn't the term archetype was not clearly defined. And mm -hmm. I've actually had people come at me uh, on social media just telling me what an archetype is or schooling me or correcting me. And you are the one to ask because you are, you have a PhD, you are tra trained as a Jungian analyst and are practicing Jungian analyst. You have a lot of experience and you are a researcher. So I want to kind of get out of the way and let you tell us and our listeners what, why you did this study. Uh, and what mm -hmm. you found. Well, there is so much to say about that. So I tried to sort it out. Well, as you all know, the, the concept of archetypes is the most controversial um, of all of Jung's concepts. And <clears throat> there has been controversy about this topic from the beginning. It actually was the reason for the break between Jung and Freud. So this shows how controversial this is. And um, well, in my personal experience, when I trained at the Jung Institute in Zurich, I was on the one hand fascinated by these ideas. That was something that drew me into Jungian psychology. But on the other hand, I, from the beginning, I was also skeptical because um, in my own training analysis, many of these elements appeared, but not all of them, and also not in the, in the, um, in the way how they are discussed in Jung. Okay. And then when I started to, to work as a, as a Jungian analyst, I had some clients who, um, whose process followed these patterns and these, these symbols and images appeared. But I would say in the majority of my clients, they never even show up. Right. And it seems not to be important at all. Um, then another level is that um, the controversy or the, the, the criticism of the concept has started um, more than 100 years ago. And many of the 
there are many problematic points in, in the concept. For example, Jung argues that archetypes are something like instincts mm -hmm. um, that we can find in animals, and uh, the archetypes are the human form of instincts, so to say. But at the same time, uh, Jung argues that they are like the Platonian ideas, which are situated in a transcendental world. And of course, mm -hmm. these, these two definitions are contradictory because mm -hmm. something cannot be um, rooted in genes and in the biology of humans and at the same time be, be a part of a transcendental world. So I would say that from the beginning, even Jung was not very clear in himself about what he was talking about. But during my um, studies on the concept, I, I, I think I have found a solution, at least for my personal problem with the concept. Okay. So what I now understand is that what Jung tried to convey is that there is, when, when a person goes through psychotherapy or analysis, but also if a person goes through um, a process on a spiritual path, then there is a typical pattern of transformation that can be observed. And, and the idea in Jung is what he tries to say with the archetype concept is that this process of transformation has a universal form. And that's, I would say, the heart of analytical psychology. Mm. That's the core idea. And um, as soon as you look at these processes from this perspective, you can start to map these processes. And of course, it's extremely helpful for a therapist and analyst if you have such a map so that you can understand what is going on in the psyche of your client. And that's what I still believe in. I still believe, and that's why I'm still a Jungian analyst, I believe yeah. that such a universal process exists. And mm. as analysts, we should know as much as possible about it. Mm. And I think that was the original intention of Jung's. Uh, that's why he studied religious traditions, yeah. why he studied, uh, for example, yoga and the, the, um, the exercises of Ignatius of Loyola, mm -hmm. to understand this process and to, to create this map. I, I would say that it's still not proven that the forms he described are universal. I'm still a bit skeptical about that. Okay. But I think it is possible to create such a map which can be helpful for therapy. But I still there is much still much research needed to investigate this process. So Jung wasn't the first person to use that term archetype, was he? Uh, no, it seems that the idea is a bit older. Um, it came up in the discussions around the development of uh, evolutionary theory, mm -hmm. um, starting with Darwin, but also um, you even find the, the idea in some of the, um, the writings of the German um, philosopher and, and um, uh, writer, uh, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Mm -hmm. Today, most people attribute archetypes to Jung, and mm -hmm. it is a 
term that is out there a lot. In fact, uh, the Duchess of Sussex had uh, a podcast titled Archetypes um, on Spotify. Really? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was it was uh, one season and it got canceled and I, I couldn't understand what the connection was with mm -hmm. archetypes. So there is a lot of confusion. And you point out that um, that. Uh, well, I, I, I want to mention this first, because I heard you say this in a lecture and I thought it was very important. And you pretty much said it before. You said that the archetype concept is so important for analytical psychology. It's actually the core concept. If we don't have archetype theory, there is no analytical psychology. We're just mm -hmm. like some other psychodynamic schools. Mm -hmm. So this idea of archetypes and the collective unconscious is absolutely important for us. But there's mm -hmm. a lot of confusion as to what an archetype is. So mm -hmm. do you think it's the case that when Jung first started writing about archetypes, he was still working it out for himself, that he was not clear as to what he meant and that as time went on, you know, he wrote, he worked and he wrote and he researched for mm -hmm. decades. And so his ideas evolved. Mm, yes, his ideas evolved. Well, I would say that, well, you know, the, the whole thing started with his own experience after mm -hmm. the break with Freud, when he um, confronted um, himself with his unconscious. Mm -hmm. And I think um, the first draft of archetype theory was an attempt to understand his own process. Mm -hmm. And I think he succeeded in finding um, a meaningful uh, form for this process. The question is just whether this is just um, his own experience or whether it's universal. And I think Jung was a bit quick to to assume that what he experienced is also universal. Ah, right. And I think he was so um, convinced that this was something general, something universal, that he was not really open for skepticism at that point. And as a scientist, I would say that um, the general attitude for a scientific approach is to be skeptical about everything. Yes. So, and I think... I would accuse Jung of not questioning strong enough his belief that this is universal. Mm. So this report that you you wrote, you researched and wrote for the IAP, which they funded, mm -hmm. was that made into your first book, C.G. Jung's Archetype Concept Theory, Research and Applications, or your second book, which just came out in August of this year, Deconstructing mm -hmm. Archetype Theory, a Critical Analysis of Jungian Ideas. Uh, no, this went into the second book. The first book was an attempt to just summarize the, um, the, the general discourse on archetype theory and how to apply it in clinical as well as in cultural mm -hmm. applications. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the second book then focuses much more on the criticism and tries to understand what was the, the background of Jung's understanding and to confront it with the, um, the insights of the of contemporary sciences that are relevant here, for example, anthropology, etc. 
Mm -hmm. Well, your first book uh, on Jung's archetype concept was released or published, I should say, in December of 2021. And then the mm -hmm. following year in 2022 came out your report for the IAAP, which is available in its entirety. There will be a link to it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. um, now, why, why did that report come to be? What what led to that? Um, well, it, it was my um, my growing my growing difficulty with the whole concept. Mm -hmm. So, as a first step in this investigation that was financed by the IAP, what I did was to make a survey with Jungian experts on the concept. I just asked them, "How do you define archetypes?" And what I found was that there was absolutely no agreement mm. between these um, excerpts. There were, and some of the definitions and and explanations were absolutely contradictory. Uh. They excluded each other. And what what I then um, had to to realize is that even in the experts there is no agreement. Right. Um, there is great confusion. And of course, that's that's terrible for, for analytical psychology because this is our core concept. Yeah. If we do not even agree on what this is, then we have a major problem. So I think I was more interested in why would the IAAP do this? Why would they commission this and fund this? And I don't know if they reached out to you to do this. What What prompted that? Because I I haven't heard them doing that on any other subject, or or maybe they have. Well, they did not um, ask me to do that, but I applied for funding for that. Okay. But I've been working together with the IAP for many years, and they have funded uh, many other projects of mine, uh, conferences and research, and so it was a natural thing for me to ask the um, the IAP for funding because they are also interested to um, to bring analytical psychology more into contact again with the academy and with, with the contemporary sciences. Mm. They have a, a series of conferences, of joint conferences with mm. the universities to do that, to bridge the gap between academy and um, Jungian psychology. Mm -hmm. But I think there is still a, a lot of work to be done in that field. Still a lot of work to be done. Okay, so you started with asking Jungian experts, I'm mm -hmm. sure uh, not just analysts, but also scholars, to define mm -hmm. archetype. And then where did, and, and you found a lot of conflicting uh, information. Right. And, mm -hmm. and um, where did you go from there then? Well, I tried to work out um, first, how the concept is defined and explained in Jung himself. Mm -hmm. And so if you go through the collected works, you will find that there are many contradictory points even in Jung. Mm -hmm. And and I also, I found that Jung did not resolve these, these conflicts. He didn't resolve them. Okay. No. And... Um, well, then I tried to, to um, compare his ideas and also the ideas that developed in analytical psychology around the archetype concept after Jung. 
with the findings from the relevant disciplines, and that is biology, genetics, um, anthropology, paleoanthropology, um, um, studies in mythology and religion. And well, generally it can be said that all the, um, the assumptions about, for example, similarities in practices and ideas in, in the cultures of the world um, from, from, a, from a contemporary point of view have to be um, seen as refuted. Mm. So what I suggested is to give up on these ideas because they are also, they are um, kind of um, enmeshed with, with some racist ideas. For okay. example, that, that Western um, civilization is um, superior over the what you call the primitive peoples, which is an idea we would, which we should not um, should not support any longer. I think mm -hmm. what I try to do is to to boil it down to the core concept, and that's what I said earlier. I think the core concept is that there is a universal process. Mm -hmm. It can be described. It can be mapped. Um, there is still more work to be done to to more to define that more precisely, but I think that something like this is happening in psychotherapy, and this is my my um, my intention to focus my work in the future on investigating this process, and I will have a, a conference here at my university in Freiburg next year which has the title, The Process of Transformation, where we try to bring together researchers who try to investigate that process in the field of dreams and images and sound play therapy, et cetera. Okay, so I wanna keep going with this, Jung's concept of the archetype before we mm -hmm. get into your deconstructing archetype theory. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the confusion about what exactly an archetype is. Do you want to go over any of that? I mean, there's the instincts, the cross-cultural mm -hmm. similarities, uh, mm -hmm. the fact that archetypes are transcendent. And was Jung aware of his inconsistencies around this concept? It's difficult to say. My impression is that he was not aware. Okay. And he was also very sensitive towards any critique of his concept. Was he? Okay. So, for example, um, there, were, there were conferences um, where he met the, the biologist Adolf Portman, mm -hmm. famous biologist of his time. And Portman tried to tell Jung that his conceptualization of the biology, of the biological part of his concept, was not supported by contemporary mm. biology, and instead of of thanking Jung for Portman um, for this information, um, he um, he criticized Portman that he was not intelligent enough to understand the concept. Uh, okay. But a few years later, he included that critique and changed his theory without naming Portman. So this tells me that he was a bit sensitive. Um, I think this was his. Um, in some in some way, you could say this was his love object. <laughs> it was his love object. Okay, yes, I think so. Yes, interesting. It extremely important for him, scientifically as well as personally. Well, do you want to 
so you do you have a definition that you work with or do you keep it fluid? Well, actually, my my definition now is that, or my suggestion is that we should, you know, Jung tried to to expand archetype theory, to to use it like what in German is called a Welterklärungstheorie, a theory that explains everything. Mm. Yeah? Okay. Um, even the um, how how the nature of man comes about, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think this goes far too, far too far. You know, this we we should stop to apply archetype theory in this manner, because, for example, if you look at um, cultural similarities, what what in anthropology is called human universals, what you find is there are a few things like that, but they do not back the ideas of Jung in the sense that there are archetypes behind that. So, for example, from what you find is that all the peoples in the world have music. Okay. Period. That's mm -hmm. it. But but the content of the music is is not comparable. It's it's there is endless variation. The same you find with religion, for example. All the peoples in the world have some religious ideas, mm -hmm. some ideas about life after death period. That's it. Beyond that, there is endless variation. So this is contrary to what Jung thought there would be. He, he, his idea was that archetypes are behind all of psychological life and therefore also cultural life. And therefore you would find similarities everywhere and you just don't find them. They are not there. So what about cross-cultural similarities? Well, they are very, very restricted. There are some, but um, very, very few and very basic. And um, even if you look more closely at those you can find, then you can well explain them by migration and cultural contact in prehistory. And of course, if you argue like Jung, Jung was a, um, a proponent of what is called the, um, it's a theory of what he calls autochthonous development. He, his idea was that all these ideas develop independently from each other in different parts of the world. Okay. Because they come out of the unconscious. Right. Archetypes, you know. But as soon as you can demonstrate that all these peoples had contact with each other mm. sometime in prehistory, then it's difficult to argue that these are autochthonous developments. Hmm. So in your new book, Deconstructing Archetype Theory, a critical analysis of Jungian ideas, you open with the following statement. You say, if we go back to Jung's original formulations of the archetype, we do not find a consistent definition, which I've mentioned before. So today hmm. we have to ask the question, what does the term archetype to what? excuse me, to what does the term archetype refer? And in the book, you go over definitions, of course, mm -hmm. and the theory of archetypes throughout Jung's writings, um, the problems, the criticisms. And then you have a section on biology, genetics, and inheritance, mm -hmm. anthropology, religion, prehistory, mystery, uh, sorry, mythology. And then you have a large conclusion. It isn't just a paragraph. 
It's a whole <laughs> chapter, the core mm -hmm. theory, a theory of psychological transformation. And I mention this because one of my concerns in doing this podcast now for over eight years is that people will read Jung, but not apply Jung. And I didn't start out reading Jung. I started out in Jungian analysis. I mean, what I see a lot on social media and on these other Jungian things that are popping up is people want to talk about what did Jung say and mm -hmm. what's in Jung's books, but I don't see them applying them now, maybe because I just mm -hmm. don't see. How does this apply to me, my life? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so this is what I'm seeing in your work when you talk about this, the, a theory of psychological transformation. So mm -hmm. how can we use Jung's concept of the archetype for our inner work, our inner process, mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. the, the mm -hmm. individuation process? Mm -hmm. oh, that's a good question, yes. And that brings me back to the point why I'm still a Jungian. Okay. <laughs> so I think Jung had this groundbreaking idea that the unconscious is not, as, as Freud saw it, a container of the suppressed things. Mm -hmm. But it's an independent being which supports human development. And this is an idea that I like very much. Um, uh, so, so the, 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 the most basic message in Jung is that if you want to move towards healing, to become whole as a person, you can rely on your psyche. There is a force in the psyche that moves you forward. Mm. If you're able to understand what's going on. Yeah. And what Jung intended to do is to give, um, a map, not only to psychotherapists, but to people in general, to better understand what is going on in their psyche. Mm -hmm. I still believe that. I don't believe in every point that Jung made about this process. Okay. But I think that this process basically exists and that we can, as therapists, as analysts, can rely on that process. Mm. And we should be experts to understand this process and ideally to have a kind of map of what is going on there. Mm. The danger is, and, and that has happened too often in the, in the history of analytical psychology, is that we put the map first and the, the person second. Yeah. It should be the other way around. So Jung was very interested in finding proof for his ideas in his clients. And I, uh, my impression is that generation after generation of Jungians continues this attitude ah. instead of having an open mind and putting the person first and mm. what the person brings up in the process, you know? And if that fits with Jung's ideas, well, that's fine. But often I find in, in my work, it doesn't fit. So I think we need... Um, we need to develop the theory. We need to develop the map. But the belief in this force, which Jung calls the transcendent function, mm -hmm. there is a capacity in the psyche which is able to, to move the person forward and to overcome inner conflicts and, and, um, and inner, um, inner contradictions in, in some way. I still believe in that process. Mm. I would say that 
if you if you practice Jungian psychology in an honest way, in an authentic way, it's a spiritual work. You rely on a, on a transpersonal force. But we shouldn't be too too narrow-minded um, uh, to to think we know how this process looks like. Mm. I think we should investigate it with an open mind and not be um, in the first place interested in proving Jung right. This is not so important to me. If I can find out that Jung was wrong, I have no problem with that. And I have mm -hmm. no problem publishing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So how has this book been received? I mean, you, you mentioned that you shatter some illusions and I'm, I'm fine with that. And, and mm -hmm. uh, have you had any pushback from that? Well, it's difficult to say yet. Um, I have from some colleagues, I have received very much support and they, they think that this, kind of research is very much needed very much needed yes yes they there are um colleagues which um well they want to discuss it with me okay for example there are still some people um saying that there is something to the biological argumentation in jung mm -hmm. well there, there are some processes biological processes that that fit with Jung's ideas, and I like to discuss these things with with them. Um, I think well, it might not sound very friendly from my side, but I, um, what my experience is that Jungians have usually a very conservative attitude, right? And that Jung, the person, is very much idealized, and that critique of Jung and of Jung's ideas is not so welcome. Yeah my impression yeah and uh, here i'm i'm very much well I, I i would point out that we need to develop our theories if we want to survive in the scientific world yes and i agree and i i was uh very protective of jung when i first started the podcast because mm -hmm. for me i wanted to cover it first I wanted to cover as much of his work as I possibly could with a variety, as much of a variety of analysts as I could mm -hmm. find willing to talk. And then only after I, I mean, it's a huge body of work. I haven't mm -hmm. certainly not covered it all. Then we mm -hmm. can start maybe picking it apart, but let's first look at all of it and look at mm -hmm. it in pieces and then as a whole. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, where do we go from here? Mm -hmm. So uh, when I found you, I, I didn't know what to expect. And then I realized that you are gentle with this. You're not being confrontational or combative. And I appreciate that very much. And I know we don't have a lot more time uh, here today. Uh, so I just want to mention a couple other areas of your work um, the impact of media and telecommunication in psychotherapy um, mm -hmm. on identities and the therapeutic relationship. So are you evaluating this because now so many people are doing psychotherapy mm -hmm. uh, via sort of mm -hmm. this kind of format? Well, actually, I was much more into that topic before the Even pandemic. Before. Okay. 
and um, and now I'm actually I'm quite um, well. It 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 um, worries me that so many therapists um, move into offering online therapy. Yep. Which is, I would say, not the real thing. Yeah. Um, and um, but I, I'm not doing so much research in that field at the moment. I have a doctoral student, and she investigates. Well, she actually compares online sessions with face-to-face um, -face sessions in the same client. Okay. So I'm very much interested in learning what she will find. Um, but I'm very, very skeptical about this approach, and even the the large scale application of these of these um, of these uh, media mediated sessions, you know. So when I could no longer do face to face sessions with my analyst because I moved to a different city and didn't want to terminate the relationship, this was before the internet. This was before. Mm -hmm the video features. And so we did phone sessions and I found mm -hmm. that very difficult because she couldn't mm -hmm. see me. She mm -hmm. couldn't yes, see, yes. there was no body language, my mannerisms, mm -hmm. my facial expressions. And mm -hmm. so what are you finding with uh, the difficulty with video sessions for analysis? Well, first, let me say, of course, if there is no other possibility, this is, this is great that we have this option. Sure. Know? So, yeah. so to be able to continue therapy. But if you have the possibility to do it face-to-face, -face, the big difference is that, you know, there is a lot of research into um, micro-sequences on the level of um, face expression, eye contact, uh, tone of voice, etc., which seemingly play a large part in, mm -hmm. in establishing the relationship. Yeah. And so, if you work with the relationship, you 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 have to rely on these on these information levels, you know, and you don't necessarily have them on video because you know that we have a, a very slight time lag, yeah, um, which is just um, technically given, and that disrupts this kind of of effective exchange from from face um, expressions and the other levels so i would say that um, video therapy is just something different it's not the same as face to face but many therapists treat it as if it were the same and, and mm. that's actually dangerous i would say yeah i find it very difficult actually to establish establish and then develop a relationship with somebody that i've never met in person and that yes. i don't see face to face uh, it is different and uh, it worries me uh what's happening to our our world because right. we right. don't have that physical contact yes very odd very strange i know you have to go at the top of the hour so i'm going to give you the last word uh if there's anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up here today okay well let me say that um so much of my work has been critical of jung's in the last years but i th i would like to point out that there is still a fascination with his approach to the psyche and I think he contributed so much to psychology 
which is so so um it has such a worth and it's mm -hmm. so helpful in the practice of psychotherapy and especially the idea that there is this supportive force in the psyche yeah. which helps us to develop and that's why i am still a jungian and will remain to be a jungian wonderful thank you so much for joining us today thank you to you too Please visit the website speakingofyoung.com for more information on everything discussed in this episode and to access all of our previous episodes available to stream or download for free. Speaking of Jung is also available on YouTube podcasts, which you can access by subscribing to our channel, Jungian Laura. It's free. Just click the subscribe button below. This podcast is made possible by the revolutionary new dream recording app, Temino Stream. Discover the hidden meaning of your dreams using symbolism, literature, mythology, and AI, as well as an optional social network. Download the app by clicking on the link on the episode page or in the description box below and create a free account today. I created Speaking of Jung eight years ago as a free podcast. All of our content is free to access, but it is not free to produce please visit the support page on our website at speakingofyoung.com support to help keep this podcast alive. A big thank you to our recurring donors, John Temple, Ralph Gotzelman, Eric Hoops, Doreen Gordon, and Mark Johnson for their ongoing generosity and support. So with special thanks to Routledge, I'm Laura London, and you've been watching a very special video edition of Speaking of Young.